Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, one of the big topics here with regards to the Packers and the defense since the draft is where are the Packers going to get improvement in the pressure off the edge from the edge rushers? Because they didn't draft one until the seventh round with Kendall Donerson. There wasn't one signed in free agency, like with Ahmad Brooks being brought in at right. the end of training camp last year. We haven't seen a move like that. One guy that uh, the coaches have mentioned him, GM Brian Gutekunst has mentioned him. The guy that is going to have a lot of eyes on him here is number 93, Reggie Gilbert. Um, I guess technically... <laughs> He's still a first-year player in terms yeah. of service, but he's actually going to be going into his third year now in Green Bay. Tell us about Gilbert because his path to this point has been a bit unusual. I don't like to get into the whole hyperbole game. I think I've said that numerous times over <laughs> the years on this show. Uh, but Reggie Gilbert has a chance, in my opinion, uh, to be one of, if not the best, undrafted edge rusher that the Packers have had. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, because there have been guys that have come in and made impacts. You know, you look at Frank Zombo, uh, you know, Desmond Moses, J. Ron Elliott, some guys that came in in, in short intermediate spurts. Andy Malumba. Andy Malumba, yeah, that came in, made the roster, made their presence felt. The thing I like about Gilbert is this is year three. That was rookie camp number three. And he had such a unique skill set coming out of Arizona, being a you know hand-in-the-dirt rusher, working inside, as you know, that elephant-type inside pass rusher on third-down situations, that he seemed to align with what the Packers like to do with their guys. It took time. Uh, you know, that first year, he, he pushed a little bit, wasn't really in the conversation. Last year, I thought he pushed more. Yeah. But they had so many of those guys uh, that, that were in that running, and then they claimed Chris Odom off waivers from Atlanta. But at the end of last season, he remained patient, and he he really balled out those last two games. Now, the hay is not in the barn for him. He needs another good summer here to put himself in conversation for a roster spot. But Absolutely. If the Packers aren't going to go with a high pick on an edge rushing position, I think a guy like Reggie Gilbert looks at that and sees that this is my opportunity to not only get a chance at making the 53 for the first time out of camp, but making an impact once he gets there. Yeah, I do think if the draft had fallen a little bit differently, I do think the Packers would have taken an edge rusher earlier than the seventh round. But that being said, the fact that they didn't, it does speak a little bit to a vote of confidence they're giving to Reggie Gilbert and what they're seeing in his development here. His his transformation, in a sense, has been pretty remarkable because you mentioned it. He was sort of an interior defensive lineman at times in college at Arizona. He's transitioned completely to outside linebacker. He's dropped about 20 pounds from the mid to high 270s into the mid to high 250s in order to play the position. Mike McCarthy has talked about uh, you know the, the change in his body and what he's done. I talked to him a little bit about it for, for a story on our website, he really had to dedicate himself. He was kind of joking like, yeah, you know, I go back home out west and there's In-N-Out Burger and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he really, he had to stay dedicated to yeah. the to the plan that uh, that the team's nutritionist, Adam Corzin, had him on in order to, uh, to, to remake the body a little bit and everything. There's a lot that's gone into this for him. And then, as it turned out, at the end of last season – Nick Perry needed had to miss some time there with some injuries at the end. He finally got an opportunity to be on the active roster and then wasn't just on the active roster but was in the game 
And then that entire, I believe it was a Saturday night game, week 16 against Minnesota. Yeah. It was like he was spending the whole game in the Vikings backfield. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, it was instant impact. And, and uh, then he went on to get his first NFL sack the following week uh, in Detroit in the finale. So flashes of what perhaps is to come. But as you said, the hay is not in the barn. There's more development to go here, but definitely a promising guy to keep an eye and, on. And here's the thing. He has played in two NFL games. I'm not trying to put this guy in Canton or anything like that. Right. I just think it's important to remember this is not a new guy on the block. He was waiting for that opportunity. He finally got it. And I think from the Packers' perspective, you have to be intrigued. And touching on your other point earlier, Mike, the Packers could have easily, the first and second round, used an outside linebacker uh, draft pick on an outside edge rusher. It, it was obviously in the cards. It was in the conversation. You and I really speculated a lot about it in the days leading up. But no matter what or where they picked a guy, whether it was at number 14 or in the seventh round like Kendall Donerson, they needed this current group behind Nick Perry and Clay Matthews to take a jump. Yeah, That's where they're going to get the biggest impact regardless of what they did going into 2018. So I look at Reggie Gilbert. I look at Vince Beagle now coming back from both of those foot surgeries. Even a guy like Kyler Fackrell still trying to you know fill out his talent in that body. It's going to be interesting to watch. Even a guy like Chris Odom, you know, now with the full offseason in this program to see what he offers. But as far as Gilbert's concerned, I think what he proved at the end of last season was that he should have been in that conversation for a roster spot to begin with because of what he put out on the field. And I think that's something the Packers are really going to have to consider this summer. Yeah, a player whose arrow is definitely still pointing up. But with that, we will go to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkowitz in that one. And Wes, a lot of times on this show, we talk about the perseverance of players. And those uh, paths can take many different directions in terms of what players have to overcome through their careers to get to a certain spot, to get to the NFL or to get to a Pro Bowl or whatever the case might be. I'm not sure if I've ever seen or heard a story of perseverance quite like that of the Packers' new long snapper and seventh-round draft pick, Hunter Bradley, because every time I hear his name, all I can think of is one thing, three ACLs. You've been working on a story on our website. You've talked to some people, including Hunter, his father. What more do you know about this story? Because it's awfully intriguing. It is. And the, the hardest part of this is, you know, Hunter's the only son of a football coach. He has a sister. But, I mean, growing up, his dad, who was a long snapper and offensive lineman at Delta State, Michael, uh, they, they grew up football together. Every Friday night, Michael's been an assistant football coach uh, in their community in Collierville for 25 years. So every Friday night, Hunter was at his games and then ended up playing for him once he got to high school. It was a phenomenal tight end, terrific athlete, uh, really good in baseball, uh, but long snapping was just always something he did along the way. But tight end was the position he thought he was going to be able to get to, to the next level. His goal for so long, like so many kids growing up in the southern portion of the United States, southeastern portion of the United States, wanted to play in the SEC. And he started getting recruited by Dan Mullen in Mississippi State. The interest started to pipe up. And then right before two-a-days his senior year, he pops the first ACL. <laughs> and... 
that was just demoralizing. One, that the kid didn't get to play his senior season of high school. Two, for the football team, he was going to be everything. He was going to be <laughs> tight end. He was going to be fullback. He was a really good defensive end. He played basically every play of the game, and now he's gone. Uh, but the thing that I think, talking to his dad, Mike, he mentioned is that even after he tore that ACL and then he ends up getting the preferred walk-on deal at Mississippi State instead of the actual scholarship, Okay, he was up at 5 o'clock every morning. He did all of his PT, all of his rehab before school at 7 to make sure that he was doing everything he could to get back on the right track. He goes to Mississippi State, tears the left ACL. Then what happened with the right one is he actually, at that time, when he had it done in high school, they were still using cadaver uh you know, ACL tendons at that point. Okay. History has shown that's not really great for an athlete. You want to do graphs. So then they redid that. Just a long path he's been on, but really inspirational from the standpoint of this is not a guy who had a scholarship. He was paying his way through college. And then as it turns out, now getting a chance to be drafted in the NFL as the only long snapper taken in this year's class. Yeah, and he'll be competing with uh, Zach Triner, who is the other long snapper on the Packers roster here at this stage of the offseason. We'll see how that competition shakes out through OTAs, which begin next week, and then into into training camp this summer. But going back to uh, something that Bradley mentioned in his conference call with the Green Bay media when he was first drafted, um, I forget if it was after the second or the third ACL or what the, the third. was it after the third yeah. one, the timeline where he's, he's, uh, he's in the training room at Mississippi state and, uh, and a player comes by one of the star players on the team. He wouldn't say who it was, but just looked at him and said, you know, what are you still doing here? Like basically, you know, you've, all you've been is hurt. You, you've been basically useless, like get out of here and, you know, leave this to the rest of us. And, uh, he just kind of swallowed it, brushed it off, and uh, and lo and behold, look, he got drafted. Well, and it's something, too. This isn't a kid that goes home and, and cries to his mom and dad. Talking to Mike, he said he never even, Hunter never even mentioned it to his parents <laughs> that that incident had happened until way down the road. Uh, the thing that is interesting, there was sort of the serendipitous sort of fate uh, to this whole situation, though, because one of the things that became clear, they certainly were very intrigued at Mississippi State, Dan Mullen was, with his athleticism and his ability to play tight end. But there always was this underlying thinking that he could play snapper, and they wanted him at some point to play snapper for them. So once that last ACL happened, he went home with his dad. They started snapping. Uh, his dad credits Chris Bonio, who's in a special assistant for Mississippi State, the former Cowboys kicker. Oh, the kicker, yeah, sure. For, for really helping him um, and harnessing his technique. And as I don't want to say his fortune would have it because it's terrible for the guy in front of him, but the long snapper before him ends up tearing his ACL. That's what gave... Hunter the chance to get on the field he thought he'd only be doing it one year he ends up doing it for two and a half uh, because of that injury he ends up getting the scholarship um, you know and, and his parents traveled to every game that he played in college just such an emotional I should say every game with about two or three maybe exceptions South Carolina they missed because there was a football game Friday night and then they played at 11 the next morning in South Carolina <laughs> but whatever the case may be this kid's been through a lot and he's fought through it and the nice thing for him to put that injury history aside, he played those 41, 42 games at Mississippi State without incident after he made that transition to snapping. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see now 
as we go through the summer because it's been a few years now. The Packers have been looking for a long-term replacement at long snapper for Brett Goode, who has handled the duty, been the primary long snapper for about a decade now in Green Bay and done the job phenomenally. But when things haven't worked out with other guys they have tried, whether whether because of performance or because of injury, whatever the case might be, Brett Goode keeps coming back over these last couple of years. And he is still available now, but the Packers have two long snappers in camp. They used a draft pick on one. Maybe this is the year that uh, that they find potentially that long-term replacement. I think they're going to let it play out. The nice thing, too, uh, as far as what Bradley gives you, he's tremendous in coverage. If you go back and watch some of his film, I mean, he made a lot of tackles at Mississippi State as well. It's going to be a little different because now, you know, the game changes for long snappers at the next level, but his athleticism is through the roof. Yeah, all right. With that, we are going to go to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford right here, Wes Hodkowitz over there. Wes, you mentioned earlier in the show you don't like to speak in hyperbole, and I don't like to either. But this We're past weekend, anyway. <laughs> yeah, this past weekend we may have seen the birth of a new trend, certainly a social media trend in the NFL. We saw a couple of Green Bay Packers walk across the stage getting their college degrees. And they were wearing their NFL jerseys, their Packer jerseys, underneath the graduation gowns. And it, it made a pretty big splash socially um, across uh, across the landscape with, with football fans. I'm talking specifically about Aaron Jones, the running back from UTEP, and first-round draft pick Jair Alexander from Louisville. Um, Alexander had his green number 23 Jones, I believe, had the, the white, white number thirty-three, but He's they were the showing they were they were they were showing those off, and uh, and I think uh, I think this is something that could catch on with NFL players who, after they're drafted or after they've been in the league a year or two, like Jones, go back to college and get their degrees. Maybe this is the new fashion trend here. Well, first and foremost, I love the fact that you look at Alexander wearing his jersey underneath his his uh, you know graduation gown. He signed it too. It was a signed <laughs> jersey. I mean that. That takes some swagger to do that. I know I've thrown that that uh, word out there a couple times now to describe him, but he just has it. He has that yeah. it factor. He has that confidence. Uh, and and I'm impressive to him. I mean, you, you tipped your cap to him. He graduated in three years after being an early enroll after early enrolling at Louisville, yeah. getting his criminal justice degree. As far as Aaron Jones is concerned, this is really emotional for him and his family because he completed his degree. I believe he was the last sibling. Uh, of uh, Elvin Sr. and, and Vergus's children to, to get his degree. His brother, Elvin Jr., got it as a graduate, uh, not a graduate, but as a being a redshirt uh, fifth-year player at right. UTEP. Right. And when he declared, when Aaron declared early last year, uh, made that commitment to his parents, I remember talking to his dad last year about how important it was for him to go back to school eventually. I don't know if they planned on him doing it in a year, yeah. but for him to go back, uh, complete his degree, gets his degree in multidisciplinary studies, uh, and, and now uh, going back to focus on his NFL career. Pretty pretty emotional, I imagine, for their family. Yeah, well, it worked out conveniently for Jones. He was able to work with an advisor um, yeah. at UTEP to essentially take the remainder of the classes that he needed. He was able to take them remotely through uh, through UTEP's online system, another um, – 
you know, another another way in which technology changes changes the game in some respects. But we also should mention Haha Clinton Dix recently, yeah. a, a week or two ago. He also uh, walked across the stage at Alabama, got his degree, something that he had been talking about, and we talked about his off-the-field stuff with getting uh, the internship at the Brown County Courthouse and the work that he's been, uh, you know, furthering his own studies in criminal justice while he's been uh, uh, while he's been here in Green Bay. And then also seventh-round draft pick Kendall Donner and uh, earned his degree from Southeast Missouri and uh, graduated as well. Always good to see these guys, you know, taking uh, um, taking that step to finish things. I remember even talking to uh, to Casey Hayward after he'd yeah. been in Green Bay for a year, had this great rookie season with the Packers. He went back to Vanderbilt and and finished up. So the, a lot of these guys, they, they, they take it very seriously, whether it's a promise they made to themselves, a promise they made to other family members. It's a big deal when, uh, when they do it, and they know they've always got that in their back pocket no matter what happens with football. Yeah, and, and Randall Cobb going back two years ago to finish That's his right, degree at Kentucky, Kentucky yep. as well. Well, uh, the the Ha Clinton Dix one is is special because it was something that Ha Clinton Dix is going to be really successful in the game of football. Uh, I think he, you know, if health provided, he's going to play for a long time in this league. And I just thought last year doing that story on him and his internship with the Brown County Courthouse, the fact that he was coming off an All Pro year, he was coming off his first Pro Bowl appearance, but it meant that much to him to finish off that degree a promise that he made to his mom, he made to his friends, and obviously his coach, Nick Saban, was very adamant too about him going back as soon as he completed, or at least enrolled, and declared early for the NFL draft. Right. Um, so for him to get it done while he's in school, I think says a lot about him. Kendall Donerson, I didn't get a chance to talk to him yet. We haven't had uh, you know the access at OTAs, but I remember hearing him speak at the rookie camp about how when he was going out, uh, was trying to get into college, academics were an issue for him. That's one of the reasons why he landed at Southeast Missouri. Um, so I have to imagine, just based on his Instagram and some of those things, that was very emotional for him and his family to be able to complete that degree and, and now have that in his back, back pocket as well as he tries to make the NFL dream come true. Yeah, no doubt about it. With that, uh, we're going to go to another break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford joined by Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, there's some information we should get out there for fans because if you cannot wait until the start of training camp to get your Packers fix and you want to see some of these players in person, the uh, the upcoming schedule of OTAs, which stands for Organized Team Activity, if I'm not mistaken. I've been calling them OTAs for so long you forget what it actually <laughs> means. But the Packers have uh, a handful of those practices that will be open to the public uh, at, um, um, I believe, on Clark Hinkle Field. It's actually going to be on Ray Nitschke On Ray Nitschke Field, okay. Yeah. On, typically uh, it's Hinkle. On Nitschke Field, yeah, behind, uh, um, behind the Don Hudson Center there. And the dates to keep in mind, May 22, May 31, June 4th. And then also the mandatory minicamp from June 12th to the 14th. Those are all 
days that uh, the Packers will be on the practice field around midday, 11.30. 11.30 for yeah. the OTAs. It hasn't been settled yet for many Yeah, camp. 11.30 for the OTAs. So, uh, you know, if you're in the area, come on out to uh, come on out to Nitschke Field and uh, and get a look at your Green Bay Packers. Weather permitting. Just <laughs> yes. to throw that out there as yes, well. Yes, and there have, been, uh, there have been some spring rains that have moved those practices inside in yeah. the past years for sure. I was talking to one of my beat writing friends uh, who shall remain nameless uh, about this. And the nice thing is, I think probably the beat writer get more excited about when these dates come out than the actual fans to some extent because we can start to plan our summers a little bit yeah you can figure out um, oh, i'm gonna take a day off here yeah. a day off here because uh because the practice is closed i don't when, have to go when you so. need to be reporting back to to green bay for training camp but yeah be that as it may uh yeah in training camp starting july 26th shareholders meeting is actually gonna be july 25th uh, now with them doing that at night. Yeah, but. first time first time the shareholders meeting will be at night and it'll be on the eve of the first practice of training a camp. Quick turnaround for Mike Spofford and Wes Hodkowitz. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to see who ends up writing the the, the story on deadline that night. But uh, regardless, I, I think this is an exciting time, uh, getting a chance to, you know, obviously fans, usually the participation for these things, uh, the amount of people that turn out for them is always quite incredible. Uh, and from the Packers' perspective, this is it. This is as you we were talking about before, and this is where you have your final installs. You get ready for training camp, the final push for these rookies before they really are going to be thrown into the fire. So a very valuable asset for the Packers, and, and now they know exactly when it's going to take place. Yeah, and just a, uh, just a tip for those who are maybe trying to plan a little spring outing to catch the Packers. If you're looking at that mini camp, June 12th to the 14th, uh, past experience would tell us that one of the last two days of that minicamp, either the 13th or the 14th, the team is not going to have practice. They're going to have a team activity that will be off in a private location, not uh, for public viewing. So if you're looking at the minicamp, just be aware that you're probably not going to see the Packers all three of those days. You'll have an opportunity to to potentially see them two out of the three. Your best bet is going to be on day one, June 12th, June 12th. Uh, to, to catch that because typically, um, let's say the Packers would have that team-building exercise in the middle day there. Um, sometimes they end up dismissing the, the veterans for the last day, even though that practice is open to the public. So it, it's just one of those things. I know one of the things I got to on Inbox, um, there will be no bike riding either. I know some people always yeah. ask about that. Yes. Should they bike be riding their bike? Is, bike riding is training camp only. The players take their cars over to... Yeah. Uh, Nitschke Field during OTAs. If you want to turn out and bring your bike and wait for Mike Spofford at the gate, <laughs> I'm not saying that he won't ride your bike. There is a possibility there, but if you're wanting an actual player, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to find. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a little tricky. But again, uh, um, the start of training camp will be July 26th with the shareholders meeting the night before on that on that Wednesday. It's going to be an interesting start to uh, to training camp this Certainly year. It will be. All right. With that, we've got to sign off on Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>